and welcome to The Literacy Teacher's Life, a podcast for teachers and parents that gives ideas about how to help our children learn to love reading, writing, and all things literacy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morphus, a literacy professor and a mom to two elementary-aged girls. Here we'll talk about thoughtful, creative, and realistic ways to navigate literacy learning so that your children will feel supported and seen in their reading and writing. Now, let's get this conversation started. Hello, and welcome to the Literacy Teacher's Life podcast, the podcast for teachers and parents who are helping young readers and writers thrive. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morphus. This is episode seven, which is airing right after the new year. Today, I have a very exciting guest for you. I will be speaking with Jennifer Saravello. Jennifer is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Reading Strategies Book. She is also the author of many other books, such as The Writing Strategies Book, Teaching Writing in Small Groups, Teaching Reading in Small Groups, and A Teacher's Guide to Reading Conferences. Jennifer has a new book coming out. It's out on January 3rd, and it's called The Reading Strategies Book 2.0. And that's what we're going to discuss today. A little bit about Jennifer. She began her career in education as a New York City public school teacher. Currently, she works as a writer and a consultant, supporting teachers as they create literacy classrooms where the students are engaged and the instruction is meaningfully individualized to students' goals. So here we go, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming to talk about your latest book, The Reading Strategies Book 2.0. My students are so excited about this one. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure. Do you mind introducing yourself? Oh, sure. So I'm Jennifer Saravallo, and I've written a bunch of books for teachers about reading and writing instruction. I also consult around the country, throughout Canada. I have a consulting team that works with me, so we can reach even more schools. I started off as a New York City public school teacher and then transitioned to writing and consulting. Great. Thank you so much. So to begin, just because this is a book about strategies, can you talk about the difference between skills and strategies? I know this can be a little bit of a tricky point. Yeah. Well, it's a great first question Mm -hmm. because sometimes people talk about those terms in very different ways. Mm -hmm. So a strategy in my terminology And this is similar to Afflerbach, Pearson, and Paris, who wrote a reading teacher article about, I don't know, a dozen years ago or so, defining these terms. A strategy is really just a how-to. It's the steps you follow to become skilled. So I think of a skill as a proficiency. So let me give you some examples. It would be great. If I want to decode a word, I would think of that as a skill. Can you or can't you? The question is, if I'm trying to teach a reader to be a better decoder, how do they decode? So teaching them to, for example, go left to right through a word, sound by sound, letter by letter, and blend those sounds together, Mm -hmm. breaking it down into steps, that would be a strategy. Or for comprehension, here's an area (laughs) where often the term strategy gets used by different people in different ways. I wouldn't say inferring as a strategy. I'd say inferring as a skill. You either are reading between the lines or you aren't. You're either getting your own ideas or you're not. How do I do it? So Mm -hmm. if I wanted to infer, let's say, about character, what's one way to be able to come up with an idea about that character? It might be to think, 
you know, what's a person in my life who reminds me of this character? What words would I use to describe that character? And how could I talk about the character in this particular book? So the series of steps that I follow is what I'm talking about when I talk about a strategy. So this book is filled with strategies from decoding fluency, strategies for engagement. How do I engage Mm -hmm. with a text, keep my mind focused on what I'm trying to read and understand? Tons of strategies for for comprehension, strategies for writing about reading, speaking and listening Mm -hmm. when it comes to reading. And I'm in a book club and I'm talking. So I think strategies really are for all different skills, all different areas of reading. Great. No, thank you so much. And I I love how you call it the how-to, which is so helpful for teachers. Why are strategies so essential to teaching reading to kids? I think of strategies as just being really explicit and clear. Yeah. It's about breaking things down to show them exactly how to do something. Mm-hmm. And then once I've taught it to them, whether the strategy is first taught in a whole class lesson, a small group lesson, a one-on-one conference, it doesn't matter. What I'm trying to do is to say, these are the steps you can follow even when you're not with me. So when you're back at your seat trying this again, and mm-hmm. I'm working with a different small group, you can still follow these steps and be successful. So it's a bridge to independence. It's a way to help the learning become more metacognitive and clear. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the flip side of that is eventually you don't want them to think through steps anymore. Right. Right. What we're after is this automaticity. I can just do it. I can just decode. I can just read with expression. I can just mm-hmm. stay focused on my reading without thinking through steps to follow to redirect myself or refocus myself or work through some challenge. Great. Thank you so much. That's a nice overview to why this book is so important for teachers. So in the introduction, getting into it a little bit, you discuss the differences between this updated edition and the first edition of the book. Can you talk about some of the changes that you made in this edition? Yeah, there's so many new changes. So many. (laughs) It feels like a totally new book. It does. I mean, what stayed the same is it's still got 13 chapters focused on goals. It's Mm -hmm. color-coded, one strategy per page, but that's about where where the similarities end. Oh, gosh, I got to work with a research assistant this time. Okay. Oh, wow. Which was amazing. So I hired a research assistant who had access to peer-reviewed studies, which is hard for someone who's not connected to a university to even get these studies, help me read them, determine which ones were the most well done examples of these studies helped me to look through my first edition strategies and say, which ones have less of a research base? Which ones should we add to be able to really respond to the trends in the research in this particular Mm -hmm. area? So there's research throughout the entire book. Over 700 studies are cited across the book. Research on every single page. It was a huge, huge job, but really exciting and fun. Another really big change was the way that the chapters are organized. So I decided to organize them according to skill progressions. Mm -hmm. So now every chapter opens with a progression of skills that focus on that particular goal. And a teacher can hopefully practice it with many teachers and it works works pretty well. (laughs) Uh, Look at their student work, look at the progression, find the, on the left-hand side, the if scenario that applies to their student, and on the right-hand side, the then, the strategies that Mm -hmm. match. So for example, in the fluency chapter, I might look along the left-hand side at the skill progression and say, okay, which of these situations fits my reader? Are they reading choppily and they need help with phrasing? Are they reading smoothly, but they need help with expression? Are they Mm -hmm. paying attention to ending punctuation? Are they paying attention to the punctuation in the middle of a sentence? Are they thinking about the meaning and trying to communicate that meaning through through the way that they read with expression and fluency. So 
that progression, that if scenario yeah. sort of helps them, and then they look to the right and say, oh, here's three strategies that can help my student right now. So I hope it makes it even faster and easier. I That was one of my favorite additions. Yeah. I thought that was so, gr- I thought it was great. As a college professor, like wh- what are you thinking about for your for your students? That can be a hard part about where to start with a child. So after they assess the kids, okay, what's next? And I thought that really answered the what's next question. It really broke down, okay, these are some options. And you know, I'll say to them, even with the your first edition, okay, if it doesn't work, what are you going to try next? So it gives, you know, sets it up so nicely for them. And in the you know, you have a little bit with the assessment in there, how do you continually assess the kids in a way that gives them feedback right away? Yeah. So I think yeah. that not only will those progressions help, like you said, to yeah. figure out now, now what, right. but that in an ongoing fashion, because a reader will stay with a goal for a little while. It's yes. not like they're going to get one strategy and then overnight, be done. done. <laughs> right? I'm now a fluent Don't reader. Wish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there needs to be a progress, right? There needs right. to be progress. There needs to be a sensible mm-hmm. sequence of lessons. And if we're trying to be systematic about how are we supporting kids as they move right. through competency within a goal... I think it could be really helpful to have that roadmap. So it's not only for first identifying the strategy, but it's for progress monitoring. How am I going over time? Mm -hmm. And I thought linking that in the beginning, in the introduction, you talked about creating your own type of curriculum for how are you going to use these to support a student? And that's what really, what reading that, I thought, okay, that it changed my whole thinking on next semester, very honestly. The students are working with kids in their final semester as in the literacy specialist program, and how can they, after they assess the kids, really having them do something very similar to what you modeled. Take the weeks and what are you teaching and how are you teaching it? Do you have to teach it two times back to back in order to support the child? Or what are you moving on to? Just map it. I thought the mapping it out was so nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. Just really supportive. And part of the work of coming up with those skill progressions then was or they're really revisions of skill progressions I've written previously. And I started Mm -hmm. really thinking through systematically, how do I progress with this skill? I realized that the strategies I had from the first edition, there were some places where I didn't have any strategies yet. So another big update was over 100 of these are brand new. Oh my gosh. And another 150 are so revised, you might not even recognize them from the first edition because I was trying to really help people see Mm -hmm. how to move step by step through and also how to respond to the research and what those research trends were saying. Right. And then because I revised the strategies so much, the charts had to be revised. There's over 200 new charts in the book. Yeah. It just is so, so new. There's so much different. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, Going with the progressions and and the systematic approach, and you you touched upon it before with the research link that you included. Why did you just that? It was unbelievable that you did it for every single strategy. I couldn't believe it. Just each one. How did you decide to do that? Well, again, I'm going to give a shout out to my uh, research assistant, <laughs> Gabe Delavecchia. Thank you, Gabe. I could not have done it without him. It was a ton, a ton of work yeah. to find these studies, read these studies, mm-hmm. summarize these studies. And you know, I always have a busy teacher in mind when I'm right. creating my books. And so a busy teacher doesn't want to read through six pages of research no. to get to the strategy that they're going to teach tomorrow. So they're right. in a sidebar. There's a really pithy summary of Mm. these are some key findings from a study or a group of studies that relate in some way to this particular strategy. Your question was, what made me think to do this? Yeah. 
I just feel like there's a real call to be informed by research. Right. Always, this yeah. has always been the case, but especially yeah. today. Right. And so this is an opportunity to update my book to show what are the research foundations for these ideas? What is mm-hmm. the research that this is based on? And how can I take that research and make it really practical for teachers? <laughs> most importantly. Which is, and it helps them back themselves up. Where, why are you teaching this? Absolutely. Is there a research link? Is there a Absolutely. research connection? Yeah. I thought that was an- another great addition. If you don't mind, if, can we talk about the chapter on accuracy for a minute? Sure. One of the challenges that I face, especially recently, when I'm working with in-service teachers, and this is now more than I would say before COVID, is that they will ask for more strategies to help kids with decoding. So many of the students I work with use the foundations program to teach phonics. That's the program the districts have chosen. And that teaches the tap it out strategy. And I hear so often, it's not working for some of the kids that I'm working with. I need more strategies. And I opened that chapter and I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because in chapter three, you offer so many strategies to support kids as they're learning to read and decode. So how do you see this supporting teachers, particularly now, as there is more instruction and more emphasis on phonics instruction? Yeah, that's a great question. So this chapter, you know, when I wrote my first edition, Mm -hmm. I leaned really heavily on what I had learned, what I had Mm -hmm. always known to be the kinds of things that you teach kids to do for word-level reading. And around 2019 or so, 2020, I started to learn more about some research that I hadn't been aware of. I did deep dives into first books and then looked into the articles that were referenced in those books. Mm-hmm. And I rewrote the third chapter from the first edition. I released it for free in 2021. Right. And so what's in this second edition is even more revised and even more <laughs> updated, improved version of that. But what I wanted to do was to say, yes, of course, we need a systematic sequential phonics program, foundations or whatever you're right. choosing. And we also need to help kids when they're actually holding a text and reading mm. to remind them of some things that they can do. Right. And tapping it, sure, is one way, but that's going to resonate with some kids, not with everybody. Right. Exactly. And there's different skills that they have to transfer, like decoding, right? Breaking it up and remembering mm-hmm. the sound symbol correspondences, but also blending is challenging for some kids. So there's some yeah. strategies in here for different ways to blend, sequential blending, continuous blending. They also need to monitor. So yeah. as they're reading, they need to catch themselves when they make a mistake and then go back and reread to, to fix their errors. So I think that in addition to, it's a complement to mm-hmm. a phonics program is to have some strategies that you can teach explicitly in a conference, in a small group, and break those skills down for them. That's great. I think that's going to be so helpful for so many teachers. And it was done in such a nice way. Thank you. I noticed that in this edition of the book, you removed the reading levels that the strategy is intended for. So I'm just curious, why did you make that change? Oh, that's a good question. The text levels were used as sort of the organizing principle Mm -hmm. for the chapters in the first edition. So the idea was that it would be, you know, strategies for easier texts all the way to strategies for harder texts. And again, this is one of the things, this, this convention of 
leveling text was something I'd always grown up with. It's how I learned to think about, you know, but I do still think there's some utility in thinking about Mm. what's the difference between the kinds of text we'd see in a first grade classroom and the kinds of text we'd see in a third grade classroom. But I just found that the skill progressions were so much more helpful Okay. And so much clearer with what we're really trying to do. So you could have a student reading a fourth grade level text, mm-hmm. but still doing the thinking work that you'd expect in a first first grade level text, right? right? For example, you can have a student in fifth grade reading a complex 300 page novel and you mm-hmm. ask for a retelling and they tell you a simple beginning, middle, end, right? <laughs> it's more helpful, I think, to the teacher to know what can I... Um, determined from what I'm hearing that retelling? And where do I need to move the student next? It's just a more helpful organizing principle. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that. So based on that, do you think teachers should be taking into account the students' reading levels when they're deciding what strategies should be taught Mm. or stick more with the progressions? You know, I I read a lot about this in my book, Understanding Text and Readers. I don't really believe kids have reading levels. Right. I think there needs to be more fuzziness and Mm -hmm. nuance put around the idea of text levels. I think levels are helpful to understand texts, right? To say like, books like this tend to have a simple plot. Books like this tend to have flashbacks. Books like this tend to have multiple plot lines as a way to help you think about what should I expect of this text? And therefore, Mm -hmm. what kind of strategy should I help kids to know to be able to get something from that text? But kids don't really ever have a level, right? Like right. depends so, on so many factors, background knowledge, motivation, whether I've read other books in the series or not, how much I know about the genre, genre. Yeah. whether or not I'm talking to other people about this book or I'm reading it all by myself. So many things come into play mm-hmm. when you're determining what's a good text for a reader that, and this is just so commonly practiced and this might this might like help some have some of your readers rethinking things a little bit. I don't know, or or saying what is she talking about. <laughs> I just the practice of like doing an assessment, getting a level, reporting that level. It's so common, but I really yes. don't think it's helpful. It's not as yeah. helpful as doing diagnostic assessments that help you see like the quality of a retelling, for example, or the qualities that a child mm-hmm. is exhibiting when they're reading with fluency rather than just calculating a word per minute rate to figure out a particular level. So I think any of those assessments are telling us a moment in time, a child could read this particular text. And this particular text happened to be a level L. But if they're given a lot of background knowledge, or if it's a different genre or different text type, they could read way higher, or they might need a simpler text in order to be able to read it with independence. So I went off on a little bit of a tangent there. I I think that's great. Yeah. And I think it's great to think about looking really focus on this is the book, not the student. It's so funny because I was just working with a child who does not care for fantasy and was assessed on it. So there was a struggle because it just is not, it's not the genre for that child. Absolutely. And I don't know how about, I don't know about you, but have you ever tried listening to audiobooks when you're driving, for example? Mm -hmm. Like I need an easy audiobook. Right. I podcast fine. I listen to a lot of podcasts. (laughs) But audiobooks, like a a novel, I I need that thing in my hands. And not only in my hands, I need it on paper. Like an ebook, forget it. I can't. I need it on paper. So so many factors, right? What do you what are you like as an audiobook listener? Do you need easier, harder? 
Honestly, I don't like a first read for an audiobook. If I want to reread it, that's when I'll do an audiobook. Oh, I, the first read, idea. I have to use, I have to read, I agree, I have to read it on paper. I don't like the phone or the e readers either. It bothers my eyes. But if I want to, I need to be able to mark up, especially nonfiction, I have to be able to mark up that book. Yeah. So think about like how yes. so many kids are assessed on screen. I know. Right? right? Oh, like, I know. Standardized tests on screen. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you're determining a child is reading at a fourth grade level or not based on this screen-based test. Right. I don't know about I you. Know. I'd do better on paper. Paper. Yes. I agree with you. Right? I agree with you. So you have to think about all these different factors. That's my point. You know, I I might not you know, be considered on level if I had to <laughs> d- listen to it versus read it on paper. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's a good point. Oh, thank you. With this, I'm I'm thinking about this as I'm working on my spring semester syllabus. There are so many strategies in this book, and you give a great example of how you can use the strategies, as I said earlier, to design curricular units or enhance an existing curriculum. What advice or suggestions do you have for teachers as they're looking at all of these strategies? And to use the book to plan for their reading instruction. Yes. If you're thinking about Mm -hmm. whole class instruction, ideally, when you're planning your curricular units, you're planning to your grade level standard, right? right? So that's where all your kids are getting access to grade level expectations. You're using grade level texts. And so most standards, I don't know your listeners are coming from New York, but probably elsewhere Mm -hmm. as well. Most standards actually are kind of a skill progression. If you look at standard two and you look at first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, you're seeing how that particular skill progresses over time. So what you may consider doing is saying, okay, this particular unit that I'm working on right now, either that you're planning from scratch or that you're planning to modify with some additional explicit strategies, you're first going to say, what are the main goals of this unit? Mm-hmm. And you might say, my main goals are you know, standard two, main idea, standard three, key yeah. details. Okay, so I'm going to look in the main idea and the key details chapters. Now, let me look at the skill progression within each of those chapters and say, let's say I'm planning for fourth grade, what feels closest to my standard language of the skill progression Mm -hmm. for fourth grade? And then you can find the strategies right there that that align to it. So I think it's actually set up in a way that helps people, again, whether you're being responsive to an individual and you're looking at their assessment and trying to find what they need, or you're thinking bigger picture, you know, what are the big goals and what's the proficiency, the skill that the student should be able to do based on this particular grade level standard. Oh, thank you. That's a great how-to to to how to use this. I really appreciate That's awesome. I'm working on some standard correlations to try to help make that even clearer. Oh my god, Yeah, those are in progress right now. (laughs) That'll be a great addition. Yeah. I'm going to shift a little bit. So it's along the same lines, but for any parents listening, Mm. are there ways that parents can implement strategies with their kids when they're reading at home with them? I have two elementary age daughters and I get questions from parents often about, okay, when I'm reading with my child, how can I support them? How can they use strategies when they're working with their child? I think that's a great question. Let's see. One thing I would say is to talk with your teacher about what goals they have for your student, first of all. Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful to be focused and to not be all over the place with the strategies. There's 302 in here. That's too many. (laughs) You're not just going to willy-nilly pick stuff or try to throw a bunch of stuff at them at once. That's too much, right? Right. So talk to the teacher. And if the teacher says, well, we're really working on being able to understand new vocabulary words 
Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I'm noticing is tripping up your son is when he's reading, he comes to a new word, he could use some reminders of ways to figure out what that word means. So you're going to then just go home and look at the vocabulary chapter only mm-hmm. and look through there. And as you're reading with this, with your child, you might think, what are some of the tips in here? Right? Strategies are like right. little tips. What are some tips yeah. I can offer? And it's written in the language you're going to use with the child. You could literally read it yeah. off the top of the page. Exactly. And at the bottom of each page are prompts. So those are little things you can say, little nudges, little reminders, little tips you can give them as they're reading. You know, so the vocabulary chapter, for instance, has strategies on using context, of course, mm-hmm. on pulling larger context, different places to look for context, and also some strategies around using morphology. What do we know about prefixes, suffixes, mm-hmm. base words, root words, and how can those things help us to figure out what an unfamiliar word that we're coming across in a text might be? So I think, yeah, talking to the teacher, teacher. Yeah. getting a goal, focusing on one chapter at a time and the strategies in that chapter, and using the strategy language at the top of the page, mm-hmm. and then the prompts at the bottom of the page. Great. That's awesome advice. Thank you. You know, a fun fact, this book, yeah. or the first edition anyway, is translated into Spanish, French, and oh Chinese. My gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so apparently in China, I'm in touch <laughs> with my Chinese publisher sometimes, and they tell me that the primary market for the book in China is parents. Are you kidding? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I thought this was so cool. So parents in China are using the Chinese translation to explain strategies to their kids. Oh my gosh. Wait wait for this. Who are reading books in English. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they're saying in Chinese, here's how you're thinking about the character. And then the student is holding an English book and reading in English. So funny. Right? That is awesome. (laughs) I know. It's really cool. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? thought? (laughs) But you make it accessible, I think, for parents as well who may not be familiar with what the kids are working towards. I do think, yeah, there's something about the friendliness of this book that a parent who doesn't have a background in in reading instruction can pick it up and use it. Or teachers all the time tell me that they have an extra copy for the paraprofessional or the aide in their room. Yes. And as they're moving around the room and working with students, they can just turn to the page and use it. They may not have a degree in reading, but they're able to use it. And support the kids, which is great. Right. Oh, that's great. I have a question from a newer teacher. She's not tenured yet. She's on the probationary track. And this is her second year. And she wanted to know what your biggest piece of advice for a teacher, particularly a new teacher, is as they navigate this current shift in the world of literacy. (laughs) I know. know, (laughs) I'm going to say find a buddy. That's good advice. I think you've got to have a buddy. I'm telling you that I survived my first years as a new teacher because I sought out a like-minded, mm-hmm. equally curious teacher who is willing to let me sit in her room, watch her. She's more experienced than I was. She came in my room, gave me feedback. We had lunch together almost every day. Oh my gosh. And that that helped me survive those early years. This was, you know, in New York City, we didn't have coaches. I didn't have a staff developer. Right. It was really DIY professional <laughs> learning, you know? <laughs> But having a buddy, having like a, call it a critical friend, you could call it a Mm -hmm. peer mentor or whatever, but having somebody that you can really read with, think with, look at student work together, troubleshoot together, and obviously pick someone really who's positive, happy to be doing this job and really excited to learn together. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Oh, thank you. That's great advice. 
Thank you so much, Jen. Before we end, I like to end on a positive note. So something that's going well for you in your literacy teaching or in your own literacy life. So I I can go first to give you a minute. Mine is actually Anchor Charts. So I'm going to give a big shout out to Anchor Charts today. And I know there's this push to have so many things go digital, but actually having the chart paper for anchor charts or just having it on a piece of paper are so helpful. And I received a phone call at the end of last week from a parent who we I run a literacy clinic at SUNY Old Westbury during the spring semester where the graduate students who are working towards their literacy specialist certifications work with kids. And last spring, I didn't even know this, one of the students I knew she had made all these anchor charts just on a regular piece of paper actually put them in a binder and gave them to her student partner. And the mom called and said, oh my gosh, this was so helpful. For the beginning of this year, he's been going back to the anchor charts and using them as he's reading or if he comes, if he's struggling with something. I thought, yeah, this is great. It just shows how helpful the strategies are and how the students need the access to them. So sometimes it's hard. I, I, I hear this a lot from teachers. It's hard to go back. If you have them digitally, you have to then pull them up. If So just having easy access to them on paper is nice. That's a great tip. I think, yeah, I'm a little, I don't know if I'm a Luddite or I just <laughs> really appreciate, <laughs> like even as an author, yeah. when I'm done, a book even of this size, I print the whole thing out. Oh, yeah. There is something to be, again, with the ebooks and the yeah. paper books, I just need stuff on paper. And I think right. young learners as well, if they have everything mm-hmm. on their screen, tucked away in folders, there's something to be said for having things right in front of you tangible stuff that's right in front of your face as you're reading. I think that's great. I think that's a really good tip. Yeah. I I was so glad it was, I didn't know she gave it to him. I thought, oh, this is great. Yeah. What a nice gift for the end of the the session. Yeah. Yeah. So something for me. Yeah. I am just so inspired by kids always, always, right? But what's (laughs) happening right now with book banning or Mm. book challenges and adults trying to stand in between kids and reading. I am seeing so many kids speak up, whether it's kids speaking up at school boards, kids forming book clubs at school to read some of these banned books together, (laughs) kids writing letters, kids at the library trying to support the local librarian. I'm just really inspired by people standing up for um, access to information and openness to information. So that's what's inspiring me these days. Yeah. Oh, great. That's a great one. That's nice to hear too, that that you're seeing that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your new book. Thank you for inviting me. Everyone should buy a copy of the Reading Strategies 2.0 book. It is wonderful. It's such a great addition and so helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jennifer. Oh my goodness, that was so informative. I hope you enjoyed this interview and learned more about Jennifer's newest book, The Reading Strategies Book 2.0. It is out January 3rd, 2023, and I highly recommend you pick up a copy of this book. It is so helpful as you are planning instruction for your students or for parents who want to support their students' instruction at home, and it can support you as you want to target students' goals. So I hope everyone is enjoying a great start to the new year. I will be back in two weeks with more about supporting our readers and writers. I'll see you then. And that's it for this episode of The Literacy Teacher's Life. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at 
a literacy teacher's life. My email address is elizabeth at theliteracyteacherslife.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend about this podcast. And of course, you can leave me a review on any podcast platform where you listen. I so appreciate it. I'll see you next time. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.